Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is the CBC Wisdom Hour, number 186 for Tuesday, November 15th. I am Steve Witchell in New Orleans. I'm Tony B coming to you from New Jersey. What's happening? Oh, it's all happening, Tony B. Oh, it's always happening, you know. Tony the best, is that what that says? Let's let's put it up there. Tony the best. I should put that up at the beginning always so people know who we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Um... Great to be here. Great to have you guys here watching. If you're coming in and watching live, or even if you're watching a replay, come on in and say hello. Tell us where you're from, and we will say hello back to you. And Indeed, we will. Bring you into the show, just like Elizabeth, who's right on time always and says, hey, guys. What's up? Um, uh, follow us on, we're, we're streaming on the Facebook page, uh, the Cover Band Central Facebook page, Cover Band Central Facebook group, and the Cover Band Central YouTube channel. Follow us on YouTube. The link is in the description. Click that link and subscribe, and you will know, just like these people, when we go live, like Donna. You'll in, be in the know. In New York. And Andrew says, hey now, hey now. Hey now. Um, also, we're running a contest, Tony, a giveaway contest. Did I Yeah, let's hear all about it. Steve, what are you giving away today? Well, all for the rest of the year, we are giving away Hercules brand items that are very useful for your live shows or your studio work or you're just sitting around goofing around whatever hercules makes killer guitar stands the best in the business the strongest the sturdiest um, lightweight but still very uh very quality construction and it's something you should have in your arsenal so this month november we're giving away one each week we're giving away a smartphone holder from Hercules. There it is in the box. 
One a week, kids. One a week. Brand new in the box. For a month. And how do you enter that? Go to coverbandcentral.com slash contest. The link is also in the description for that. You can enter that um, contest there. It is free to enter. You just need a uh, Cover Band Central an account on the, on the website. But you don't get spammed with any email or anything. And it's simple to do. One, two, three. You're in. And enter. And you could win. There's been a bunch of winners already. I'm giving away two more this month. One a week. And then in December... We got a big item for Hercules. It's, I, I can't wait to tell everybody about this. Oh, boy, we can't wait to hear about that, Steve. But affiliates, executives, and non-affiliated government members are not eligible to participate in the contest in 2022. Thank you. Got to always give the disclaimer, Steve. Otherwise, we're liable. That's right. Kevin's in Milwaukee. Hello, Kevin. What's up, Ryan's Kevin? in Mississauga. I don't know what that is. Uh, Donna just said ice. I don't know what that means. Chris is in Kentucky. Boy, howdy. Oh, she she meant nice. That's what she meant. Okay. Yes. Nice, nice, like a lemon ice. Thanks, Elizabeth. We do love the humor, too. We do love uh, laughing at ourselves and laughing at each other sometimes. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just An not, taking, laughs. not taking things in the general sense uh, too seriously. Although really we do can't. take Don't some take yourself seriously. too seriously, Steve. That's why I'm That's the best. That's right. Kenneth is in uh, Morell's Inlet in South Carolina. Very nice. Probably has a boat. I don't know. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were off last week because you were under the weather. But um, yes. But you just said you played Sunday, right? Played Sunday. Played great. Sang great. Felt great. Yeah, I don't know. My throat was scratchy, and then uh, I took a COVID test a couple times. I was negative, and I lost my voice for a couple of days. Then it came back on Saturday. And I rested it, and uh, voila, here we are. Very good. I'm back in action. And how was the gig? What was it Ready about? Ready to talk. It was uh, Tin Barn Brewery indoors. It was very cold out, but it was a good turnout. We're back there again for their Christmas show, Tree Lighting Extravaganza. Ooh. December 2nd. Um, yeah, fun place. That, that's the place I sent you the video from last week with the 30-foot ceilings. So... Right, right. Throw right. the drumsticks very high for added entertainment. Shout out from Biloc Steve, right Biloxi. in your backyard there. Biloxi, Mississippi, yeah. Susan. Um look at that. So all right, so So that when, was it. I, I only played one day this weekend and I only played two sets um for a total of, of almost four hours worth of music. So we played like two hour and 45, 50 minute sets with a break in between. Wow. Yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Well, well, before we get to that, let's, uh, I, I have many, a question now. You, how many you're hundreds, doing the, hundreds of sets did you play this week? Yeah. You're doing the gig, uh, this, this, uh, December 2nd, you said Christmas tree lighting. Are you going to be playing Christmas music? Yeah. That's my question. Yes. And how many songs? Four. What songs? Father Christmas by the Kinks. Okay. Um, Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce. Okay. Jingle Bell Rock by Hole and Oates. Remade version of the same original version. It sounds very similar to the original version. Okay. It maintains the spirit of Christmas. And then uh, I think it's come. I, I ho hope you come home for Christmas by the Eagles. 
It's kind of a slow Christmas ballad type song. Mm. Departure from like rocking around the Christmas tree and all the other normal Christmas classics, you know? Right. Rock it out a little bit. No, not too many bands do the Kinks' Father Christmas, so that's a good one. Right. For like a rockish band, I would love to do uh, Run Run Rudolph, like the Brian Adams version. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Um, I I don't get to play Christmas songs. That's why I see And I love Christmas music. I know maybe I'm in the minority there, but I love it, and I love playing it if if I get a chance to. Yeah. Well, the Christmas tree lighting, they probably have about 500 people in the building. And then, you know, as we're playing and the tree is being lit, it erupts into all kinds of fanfare, much like, much like the Grinch stole Christmas when, they, when Christmas is restored and the, the Whoville is, is in celebration. That is much like what the Tin Barn erupts into upon lighting of the Christmas tree. Wow. It's very special. Yeah, I'm playing day after Thanksgiving, too, uh, at a different venue. And then we'd play another Christmas show uh, the, the weekend before Christmas, the 17th. So we got a bunch of gigs left coming up for the end of the year. Should be fun. Right, very nice. Yeah. What's up, Desiree? Desiree's in Cloud, Minnesota. From the What's Cloud, up? Minnesota. The Cloud. You uh, live in the Cloud, nice. Steve? Sometimes. What's it like? It's uh, it's humid and foggy. Is it sketchy like the Matrix? Um, I I guess you could say that. Okay. Sounds like a fun place to visit, but I don't know if I'd want to live there. Yeah, you would. But definitely check it out. Yes. So, um, so somebody jumped on this already with the topic that I chose, but and we'll get to your commentary in a second. Um, but my weekend was similar to, uh, of course, we didn't talk about last weekend uh, because. We right, so we got two weeks show. to catch up, Steve. So what happened two weekends ago? Anything uh, to note? Anything of interest? Um, Any- Anything spectacular? Nothing that stands out right now, other than it's the the same schedule that I've I've done that I did that first week. I've done the uh, the previous two weeks now. Which same is, players, same lineup. Same essentially, band. essentially, yeah. I'm playing during the night on Friday on in Bur- on Bourbon Street at a club called Fat Cats with a band called Rockbox, and we play eight sets on a Friday night. Yeah, set is 45 minutes, so we play three hours, take a half-hour break, play another three hours. Nice. Um, and Saturday, I play during the day with uh, at a club called Bourbon Bandstand, 2 to 6.15, five sets, and then go over and I play the night gig with Rockbox, eight sets, so 13 sets. And then uh, Sunday, I do both gigs as well, but it's only six sets at night rather than eight, so... 11 sets on the Sunday. So that's what I've done. I've done for the last two weekends. It is exhausting. It is, uh, but I mean, I've been able to get through How many it. sets on Friday? Friday is only the, the one, the eight sets. So you got eight, 11, that's 19. And then what, Thir- how many on 13, Sunday? 13. Uh, thir- oh, 13, 11 and eight. Right. 32 sets. Nice. Which is, and, it's it's approximately ten, <laughs> it's approximately played, ten songs a set. I played thirty two sets of music so, from Friday till Sunday evening. Yeah, so awesome. Uh, approximately ten songs a set, so that's three hundred and twenty songs in three days. In three days, it's like being on tour almost. You know, 
It's more I, than being on tour. <laughs> how is it, Steve? Yeah, because when you're on tour, that is true. You might play like two nights in a row, but then you get a night off. Then you might play two nights or three nights in a row. You might get a night off. You might play a night and have a night off. So the most you're playing is like three or four in a row. Yeah. But even with that, you still you have the whole day to rest up for the following evening. Right. And on tour, you're 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 playing an hour and a half, maybe two hours set. You know, for yeah, like, depending. You know, maybe even th- three. Yeah. At the most, um, it's boot camp for musicians playing on River Street. Um, the first week, I was I was having back issues, and then I consulted the Cover Band Central group to find some advice from bass players, lower back issues. And I got some really good advice, which I followed, um, using uh, wearing more comfortable shoes, more cushiony shoes, getting a wider strap for better weight distribution, um, stretching, you know, I had been doing that anyway. And uh, really just followed those two, and that did help. Um, I still was feeling a little bit in the back, but not nearly as much. Hmm. So uh, that was... Good. So would you say you're acclimating to your new mega set weekend gigs and in a month from now it'll be like no problem? Or do you or do you think just because of the sheer volume of effort in such a short amount of time that you I would think you'd get conditioned to it after doing it for a little while like anything else. You know, if you exercise within a couple of months, you're upping your weight, you're increasing your resistance, you're you're spending more time on the bike or the rower or whatever you're doing. You know, your body adapts. So tell us, Steve, is your body adapting to the life of, you know, a 32-set-a-week musician? I think so. I, I think I'm getting more conditioned to it and acclimating myself to this. And it's really psychological is the most, is the heaviest. Yeah. Because obviously, physically, I can, I'm able to do it. Um, but... When I break it down into, okay, it's Friday night, we're just doing the one thing. And then I go in Saturday, play the day gig. Saturday is the longest day, but it's the hump day. So it's like, okay, once I get plow through this hump day, then it's easier on Sunday. Still 11 sets on a Sunday, but at least mm. it's like, that's the home stretch. I know it's it's going to be you know done at the end of the night. We're done at midnight. And then I'll be home, you know, 1 o'clock, 1.30. And, uh, and that's it. Then I have the next day off. So... So yeah, it's just it's just really kind of adapting to the whole psychological aspect of it, and, and saying. And here's the thing, and we I, I guess we probably talked about this already, but when I'm done with the first gig, the day gig, and I literally am walking across the street to the next gig. You know, it's a one way street, Bourbon Street. Yeah, I'm walking across the street right there to the next gig. So when I walk in there and I bring my stuff over, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new band. It's a brand new venue, brand new yep. perspective. Um, so it's just like kind of starting the day again to me. So I'm not thinking of it like, oh, I just did five sets. You know, it's just like, okay, here we go. You know, brand new thing. And that's my mentality there. And that I think that helps me get through. And there you have it. Yeah. But now there are issues that I'm dealing with with that band. And I, and I am a sub for this band, but I'm, it's going to be for an extended period of time. However, uh, I just spoke to the bass player who it's his job. Normally I spoke to him today and, uh, he's going to come back and do a few weekends, a couple weekends in December, um, just Friday and Saturday. So I'm still going to do the Sunday. So the first two weekends of December, he's going to do Friday and Saturday. 
So that gives me quite a bit of a, a break. And Thursday or uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we're off completely. Like uh, both bands were off. Oh wow! Uh, so um, so I'm gonna have some time after this coming weekend. I'm gonna have a big break. Um, really, I'm still gonna do the day gig, but it's gonna be no Friday and Saturday night for two. Just weeks. Saturday Sunday day. Saturday Sunday. Uh, well, Sunday night too, but not Friday and Saturday. Oh, okay. Hmm. So, so that's good. I mean, I'm kind of getting ahead here with everything. And um, I got a pedal. Did I tell you about the pedal? Probably no, not. No, right? tell us about the pedal. Pedal. Well, so, so this this can go into the topic, which I, I, I titled this Authenticity. And we probably talked about this before, Tony, but about wanting to replicate songs as close as possible to the original recording versus wanting to make it your own. And uh, I've written an article about this. It's on the website. Anybody wants to see it, uh, coverbandcentral.com. But I'm seeing this in a new light now because with Rockbox, they want me to sound, they want me to play as close to the recording as possible and not only that, they want my tone to be as close to the recording as possible for each song. Now, I'm playing 80 songs in a night. Mm. A lot of different tones there. That's easy. Um, maybe. But I've never been one to use effects. It's, that's not my thing. And and, and that's, that's a probably a mistake on my part for not really kind of getting into it and working on my tone better and using effects and things like that. Um, but now I'm kind of forced into that situation because they're like, well, you need more compression, like, uh, you know, for, for at least compression. And so I went and got a multi-effects pedal and I've been messing with it. And it definitely sounds better. Just the factory uh, patches in there mm-hmm. sounds better. Sounds better than just plugging straight in the amp. Yeah. But now I have to learn really how to create my own patches. And, and that's a challenge. And it, it's going to take quite a while to do that. Because, you know, I could do it here at home with headphones on or through an amp or whatever. But then when I get in the room, it's a different story. Yeah. Um, and I, I, my opinion with this is that they're being a little bit too nitpicky with me about that. And, um, and we've discussed it, so I'm not saying anything new here. Um, but I'm willing to, since I'm a sub... You know, I'm willing to do, come in and do the job that's expected of me. And this is a good learning experience for me, too. But I still think that I don't think it really, really matters at all how, what my tone's like to the people that are coming in there and buying drinks and watching the band. No, but it's something you haven't done before. It'll stretch you. You'll learn something new. And you may end up improving your sound at the end of becoming out of it where you might say, hey, you know what? I did write this killer patch and my bass sounds the best it's ever sounded. Because I can tell you that when my youngest son Cole played, when he was in high school, he played this coffee house and he had bought his first bass, which was that, it was a Fender Jazz. It was a Squire. You know, it was a, a knockoff, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. American made, but it was a Fender. And it sounded great. And he bought the Getty Lee pedal and he messed around with it for like two weeks. And when we, he played the coffee house and I backed him up and we, we did Red Barchetta and his bass sounded exactly like the record. Right. He was able to mimic the sound. You know, he got Getty sound with the Getty pedal. 
to the point where people commented on it and said, wow, can't believe you got your bass to sound like that. And it was really just that single pedal. He had no other effects on it. So it made a big difference from just his normal sound, which was good to begin with. So I'm, I'm a total you know, proponent of that, even to the point of for drummers, if you have the luxury and you have multiple drum sets or multiple snare drums, you'll find that certain drum sets or drums will clash with certain types of music. Like, for example, the band I play with now, I have a 1962 Gene Krupa Slingerland snare, has that classic sound, it's got crack, but it's not, it's not that type of rock metal snare that just cuts through the mix and you hear it like, wow, you know what I mean? It's just there. And no matter how hard I hit it, it doesn't get that much exponentially louder in volume. So it works great because it's controllable, it's wood, and it has a very warm sound. Now, if I was playing with a more aggressive band or a heavier band, then I would use a different snare. You know, like when I played with Weisenheimers, I used to use a Gretsch kit, which was, you know, they were maple, they were bright, but they were dark. And the snare had a lot of punch and a lot of crack. So it worked good for that, you know, for that mix of music. But I think sometimes you tend to, depending on, like I said, drum-wise, you wouldn't think so much, but if you play a certain genre of music, like 80s, for example, there's a certain drum sound that comes with the 80s, right? right. And you're not going to get that out of a modern DW drum set, you know? You need like an old Tama or an old Yamaha or something from that era that all those guys were playing at the time to kind of replicate that sound. You know, the further back you go into 70s and 60s, it's more of a mishmash of stuff because there was no real leading drum manufacturers that that were on the forefront other than, you know, Slingerland and Ludwig, you know, and and then Tama and other, you know, companies started to come out of that, you know. So it's interesting that you say that because even though there's not effects pedals for drummers so to speak you know you can do a lot to enhance your sound and 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 that's the authenticity steve of why i am the best because (laughs) i am the best version of myself that as you should be yes as we all should be yes so when they say tony what are you the best at i say i am the best at being my most authentic version of myself right so today i present my best version to you steve to the world of Cover Band Central. This is the best you've ever seen of Tony it's Lee right here. much appreciated. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, like David said, it really depends on who you're working with. The average punter comes out for a night of drinking or dancing really uh, yeah. won't be as fussy. 100%. And, and, you know, the audience on Bourbon Street is mostly people that are out partying. Um, yeah. But Rockbox does have their regulars, too, that come and stay the entire night or most of the night. So those are the people I think they're thinking about. And cool. and, and they just wanted to. It's tough because they're, you know, it's a band with basically the same members for the last eight years. And they're very, very used to each other, very used to how the other bass player plays and and sounds. And and he is somebody who is very into sound. Very, he's, mm-hmm. he's a, you know, he's a techie guy. Um, and uh, more of a gearhead than I am, and it, it's it's somewhat uh, jarring to have somebody else come in and not sound that way. And that's that was communicated to me right off the bat, like like you know it sounds very different because yes, you know, correct. So hey, so that's a great thing too, though, because the band is holding itself accountable to a higher standard. 
you're in a situation that's making you stretch outside your comfort zone. Yes. And, you, you know, that's how we become, the, the, you know, our best versions of ourselves, right? By trying new things and striving to be different. Because you probably wouldn't buy, you know, an effect pedal for yourself just to experiment with it or try it. So it's like when someone else in the band is forcing someone else to do something, it elevates everyone. You know, when there's other elements brought in, you can elevate one person in the band, which has kind of like that ripple effect where it elevates everything, you know? Yeah, agreed. And, and I might have done that. And I've, in the past, I've, I've considered it and I just never made it a priority. I was always just like, okay, go to the gig, amp, plug in, boom. I, yeah. You know, and, and adjust the sound on the amp, whatever, but make it sound, you know, to my liking and, and that's it. And so, but there's, there's other people in the band, that, uh, this band, Rockbox, that will jump on bass uh, and, and I can go out in front and listen. And when that's happened, to me, it sounds great. You know, I go out front, I listen to the little band, listen to the bass. Bass sounds great to me. Hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not digging too much into the details of the sound. But I, well, I, they've also been listening to the sound for eight years, Steve. Like you right. said, so they have a certain expectation of what they want. And if you're a sub, that's what they want. I remember when you know my friend Joe Bergamini used to sub for Chuck Berge on Broadway. And the first thing the conductor said is, what we want is to not know that Chuck's not here. Right, right, right. You know? And that's we challenging. Want, we want to sound exactly like it sounds every night, regardless who's playing drums. Right. So and I agree. No, there's no coloring. There's no adding your own stylistic things. There's no licks. You know, you play it. You play the show the way the show is written, and you play it exactly the way that they want you to. Right. You know? And you're, in essence, like you said, you're a hired professional performing a job so they're not really looking for your input you know in that particular regard other than the fact that you're capable of delivering the goods but they want to manage how you deliver it exactly and they're super cool about it you know nobody's jumping down my throat about it you know oh yeah no offering suggestions and that's why i i was proactive and and you know after the first week I was told that, so I just got it right on. I said, okay, I'm going to get a multi-effects pedal. Have you and, taken the pedal to a gig yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, for okay. for the, the last uh, two weeks, yeah. I'm sure they're appreciative of that, too, to be like, oh, wow, Steve took our, you know, our recommendation, and he's already on it. Yeah, Problem. and, and I, I spoke to the bass player again today, and he's going to come Friday early, and I generally get there early, uh, usually before everybody else. And he's going to come and help me dial some things in. I'm going to still work with it over the, ne the next couple of days, but he's going to uh -huh. come and help me dial stuff in. And, you know, he's super generous, you know, with his time and, and sweet guy and very knowledgeable. So, yeah, it is outside my comfort zone. But, yes, I can learn a lot and grow from this. So, But that's the great thing about the community of musicians, Steve, right? The guy, is, like you said, he's willing to help you whatever you need to be successful. There's no competition. There's no jealousy. There's no... You know what I mean? It's just everyone's friends, and let's help each other. And whatever you need, brother, I got your back. I'll help you get your sound down. This way, the band sounds good even when I'm not there. Yes, you yeah, know? it is. It is nice to have that. And and he really, you know, it's his band essentially, and he really cares about the product overall. So yeah, he's willing to do that. Yeah, and he but, wouldn't have entrusted you with the, with the gig if he didn't think that you couldn't do it. Right. That you wouldn't represent. You know. Right. Either that or it was like, well, 
He's the best we could find. I don't know. <laughs> hey, we call 17 other guys and they answer the phone, Steve. So are you available <laughs> yeah. for this gig, potentially? <laughs> well, you were last on our list. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> it was the last you're the only one available. So. Yeah, I'm good. good. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, uh, but then there's the songs, too, and that was the topic. And, and, and uh, so Terry said, key vibe. He said... Too close a copy that you're not a cover band, you're a tribute band. Nothing wrong with that, but now you're no longer representing yourself. You're doing an impression. So, so I, I mean, th- there, are, there are songs that I learned, and I'm sure this is true for you and many other people, that learned, we learned as kids that we've never re- revisited. You know, we've probably heard tons of times, but never revisited and so th- there's a difference between learning a song and studying a song. So I've gone back. I have this list. I don't have it where I can show you. But the list of all the songs for this band, including songs that I would think, oh, I know that song. I don't have to listen to that. I know that song. Um, but then I'm like, hmm, do I? You know, I'm playing it with the band and I'm hearing... Like, nobody's saying anything in particular, but I'm hearing, like, parts like, well, wait, is that right? Am I sure that's right? So mm-hmm. I, I made this whole list of the of all the songs, and I use a program called RipX, which um, you can uh, you, you can down any MP3. You can get MP3, you put it in this program, and it, it breaks, splits up all the instruments. So I can hear, I can solo Oh, yeah, kind of like uh, Moises. Yeah. Same thing, same app, kind of app. Yeah, so I've been doing that with songs that I would never think that I need to go listen to again. And have you discovered any hidden gems? I sure have. Dissecting? I sure Ah, have. This brings us back to episode 72 early (laughs) on where we talked about you played a song and you're sure that you've been playing it this way for 20 years. And then you go back and listen to it and realize that, ah, I'm not playing it exactly 100% correctly because there's other things there. But I'm always a fan, too, of going back, not only, Steve, learning the song, but when you go and learn a cover song, how often do you go and listen to maybe try to find three or four live versions of that song to see how the band did it live? Because a lot of times you listen to what the drummer's doing and it's not anything close to what he did in the studio or the tempo is usually like 15 BPM faster than it was on the record, right. you know, or the real guys who want to duplicate it, play it pretty close, but there might be a subtle nuance, you know, so that's always a good indicator of how much you can stretch or, you know, to Terry's point, how much of your own personality can you put into it and get away with it without it not sounding authentic. Right. Yeah. And I did that. There was one, uh, uh, uh stone in love was one that I, I learned, Early on, you know, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I learned it off of the cassette uh, uh, by Journey. And I've played that hundreds of times, that song. It's a great tune. It's a great song. And it's a great bass line at the end. Um, so, and I've, I've probably mixed up the end before, like, does that part go first or that part goes first? So I went back to listen to it again. And then I saw a live version on YouTube. I was like, oh, let me watch this live version from... You know, the, the, like 81, 82, when Journey, the, when the MTV videos were, were showing. Mm-hmm. And, and like, Ross, uh, Val, Val, I don't know how to say his last Ross name. Valerie. Valerie. Um, 
he's not like uh, in the chorus. It goes, uh, uh, and he's not doing that live at all. And I thought that's weird because that's a really signature part of that song and the recorded version of that song on bass. And I, I just found that very strange. Like, why isn't he not playing well, that's that probably part? Right, right, right before he got kicked out of the band, probably. And if you watch the next live video with another bass player, that guy's probably doing it. Right. Um, so, but I... Yes, but again, I, maybe he just didn't feel like doing it. Or these guys have played the song so many times that they just, you know, they mix it up or they play things different a little bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the signature guitar solo. Did, you know, do you do the guitar solo exactly like the solo? You're supposed to, right? If you're in a cover band and you're doing "Sweet Child," you're not going to improvise, right? right. They, people want to hear the, they want to hear the solo. Yeah. So I don't know if that's being a tribute or if that's just authentically reproducing something that people are expecting to hear that's a signature part of the song. Yeah, and I think, and I'll, I'll kind of echo what RJ is saying here. He says, "Stick to the DNA of the song. Give it your own flavor of tones. If you're not a tribute, of course, unless yeah. the original artist may have done a cool live version of the track." And I agree with you about watching different live videos. So I'm going to be doing that more with this entire list. Like this is now not me learning. This is now me studying these songs because yeah. these are the songs that this band plays. That's not going to change all that much. And I'm going to be playing with this band for quite a while now. So I'm going to study them, you know, so I got this track, this program, uh, uh, you know, ripping these tracks, the MP3s, splitting them up, listening to the bass track by itself, or, or and then listening to whole track with the bass boosted and 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 then going and watching live videos too because it's like yeah not only the parts playing the parts right but are they is he playing with the bass player playing with a pick and usually on the recordings they are um, the clarity yeah yeah and what kind what kind of tone what kind of bass is he using what kind of amp is he using is it just going direct um, so all those things like really studying this stuff but the funny thing is about bass too and I've had this experience playing in the studio when you listen to the isolated bass track often it sounds very sloppy mm -hmm. and like even like when i've recorded in the studio like i'll play the bass track and it sounds like it's tight with the drums and then you play the bass back by itself and it sounds off you know it sounds right it sounds like but then they not... compress it and they tighten it up and they you know manipulate the tone and it, and it sounds more in sync to what you think you heard Right, but even some of these tracks that I'm listening to, these MP3s, and listen to the bass soloed, it sounds sloppy. It's just yeah. like, and it's like, what note is he playing there? Well, he's kind of just skipping over a note. You know, uh -huh. he, he is playing the F sharp kind of, but he's playing the G too, and it's it's not, it's not evident when you listen to the track with all the instruments, and w when you're listening to it isolated, it's like, okay, like how do I genuinely uh, authentic authentically replicate this that you know the sloppy yeah note like like i mean but, you know it's almost like for a drummer if you're playing a police song and then you're playing a lenny kravitz song and then you're playing a stone song you have to adapt to three different stylistic you know impressions that you're going to have to bring because Copeland plays a certain way on the police where you're going to be really on top of the beat, you know, and you're going to really be driving. Whereas Cindy Blackman plays with Lenny a lot more loose, you know, and back in the pocket and real sloshy hi-hats and not real, um, you know, like distinctive articulation of precision, right? It's just more like it's a sloppy, but it grooves, you know, so you right. can't play it like tight. 
you know? And then same thing with Stones. It's just kind of like very non, you know, very relaxed and, and non-aggressive, you know? Just very much, you know, tempo waivers. And it's just like, so you take those things into consideration when you're playing the song. Like, how is Charlie playing this Stone song? Not how is it going to sound with Stuart Copeland playing it? You know what I mean? You have right. to mentally, like, adapt to the song and say, put yourself in that drummer's shoes or think of things stylistically that they're playing in the song that are key things you, you want to remember you got to do, you know? So Charlie Watts is a good example. Cause so if you were playing a stone song, you know, where Charlie Watts often would play, not play the hi-hat when he hit the snare, mm-hmm. you know, even if he's playing eighth notes, he would, you know, yes. it would stop, stop the hi-hat when he hit the snare. And I don't know if that was a, a stylistic choice or if it was just something that he wasn't able to do. Like, oh, I can't, right. I can't play them both at the same time. So mm-hmm. when you're playing a stone song, do you do that? Do you omit that? that eighth note yes i do i do try to think of that because and and listen i mean if i was in a stones tribute band and i was analyzing and dissecting this song like you you know i would chart it out and then i would play it exactly that way because he may not do that every single time you know what i mean he might play two measures of straight time and the third measure he's not doing it then the fourth measure he doesn't do it on the you know on the four but he plays it with together on the two so it's it's not like a consistent thing you know what i mean it's almost like perfect example so we're doing Love Lies Bleeding, Elton John. Excellent song. Right? Yeah, great yeah. tune, right? Yeah. And when you listen to the way that, that, that Niles plays the parts, it's very avant-garde. There's almost no crash cymbals. There's two hi-hat tracks so and a ride. So when he goes to the ride, the hi-hat track is still playing because you can hear it going bzz, bzz, and he's going dun, 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 like he's doing a build with the floor tom and the snare and the hi-hat is still hitting the bomb 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 those mm-hmm. accents with it mm-hmm. so you can see they manipulate it to sound a certain way but he doesn't play it straight you know what i mean every measure is different one two it's so it's like a rhythm to it and it follows the bass so i remember dennis chambers saying you know if you're not sure what to play just listen to what the bass player is playing and that's what your bass drum should be doing so as soon as you dissect it and call on your memory banks of other ways to look at something from a different perspective then i clicked where i was like ah i don't even have to try to figure it out because if i just listen to what the bass line's doing it's like all of a sudden the light bulb goes on. You know what I mean? You're trying to figure out exactly what he's playing, and then you listen to what the groove is after listening to the song a bunch of times, and all of a sudden it clicks, and you're like, now I understand how he created his part to go with the song. So I think when you have those types of moments when you're learning a song, it makes it more authentic for you because you're not learning a part. You've kind of had that epiphany where you're like, I understand his creative mindset when he made the part. And that makes it easier for me to play it now because I see, oh, now I see how it fits together. Right. And then it becomes easy to play. And I always know that myself is like I'm not comfortable playing a song until I get to that that moment. You know, and you, typically it's pretty quickly. But for that song, it took like a week of listening to it before it actually clicked where I said, ah, now I got it. Hmm. You know, just different stylistically than, you know other drummers you would normally play he's just not a, a two and four you know and abacab we're doing abacab too great and song. same same thing phil creates a great drum part and he uses his bass drum to accent certain things but you really have to listen to what's going on because it's not straight ahead mm-hmm. you know it's constantly changing mm-hmm. you no know? but very cool you know and you can 
again, just get in his mind because he's a singer and he's playing and you can hear the, you know, he's very consistent in the way he does the fills and he's right on top, of, you know. So stylistically, again, you just try to draw from that and say, well, let me try to bring some of that spirit to the song and at least, you know, recreate that. Yeah, it's kind of about the spirit. I, I wonder how many cover band musicians, though, do this and go go through all the, this thought process. Even. Well, that's why we're talking about it, Steve. We're here to bring wisdom. Right. Uh, so Thomas said there's something that would be said for both approaches, if not exact, but close. Some may hear that as a subpar attempt. Might as well change the arrangement at that point. I mean, I, I'm, of the, <laughs> I'm of the thought that you, you can come close to a, uh, replicating a studio version, but you're never going to do it exactly that way because it's a different animal, playing in the studio versus playing live. They're yeah. just different, different things. Um, David said, I always learned the song from the studio version. That way, when we played it live, it became ours. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely want to learn it from the studio version, but I think you have a great point, Tony, about listening to different live versions, especially for bands that have been around for years, like listen to their version from the 80s, listen to their version from the 90s, and then and then so on, and with maybe possibly with different band members. Um, like I saw Foreigner uh, announced today that they're, that's it, they're going to wrap it up after this last... This is it the last, last, last tour? No, and they've been touring. Is Tishy playing with basically them again? nonstop? No, not right now. But they've been touring basically <laughs> nonstop, you know, for years, and it's it's like one, maybe I think it's one or two original guys. No, just one, Mick Jones. Yeah, um, but he's not always there. So sometimes you go see Foreigner, and it's, <laughs> and it's nobody it's, from the original band, but they're calling themselves <laughs> Foreigner, so they're a Foreigner right. tribute band. Yeah, but, but Kelly Hansen's. Kelly Hansen's been singing for like 17 years. Yeah. And he, he's great. He does a great job with the Lou Gangs. Hey, you know what's course. funny, dude? Sometimes you look at that and you say, man, he's been singing with Foreigner 17 years. He's in the band longer than Lou Graham was. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like some of these guys have out, you know, lasted the original guys. They came as a sub and then they stayed longer than the original guy. Right. So do they become the new guy? I mean, you know, they'll never replicate the original band, obviously, but, you know. Well, it's hey, about the you know. songs, though. Who sang the yeah. song originally? You know, and it's right. all Lou Graham. There's no new foreigner songs with Kelly Hansen. If there are, there's none that are, you know, hits. Yeah. No, no, but of course, because Lou Graham's that identifiable voice, as is a Steven Tyler, as is, you know, many singers, right? When you hear the, their voice, you instantly know who it is. Right. They have a certain sound, you know? Yeah, and, and this kind of... RJ, kind of what we just said. Also, when you're covering a band that's been around four or five decades, the evolution of that song seems to have changed yeah. when they play it live originally. Try to keep up with the studio current live mashup. Oh, that's a good idea, too. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's songs are living, breathing entities. They 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 evolve over time. And, and I, I, it's important, I think, to have the personality of the person that's playing it in it. So I feel a little... I'm currently, and this will change, I think, but I feel currently a little stifled with Rockbox because it's like, no, play it like this instead of play it like you. You know, it's no, play it like this. Sound like this. So, and again, that's not going on the entire night. And that's that's not, and it's not being presented to me that way. But that's the way I'm taking it. It's like, I can't really be me as much as I want to be with these songs. But again, it's a good thing. It's out of my comfort zone, and it's going to teach me some new things. And to that previous comment, yeah, I think it is important to learn the original version, kind of go to the well, and mm -hmm. understand the song. 
And then you can go listen to live versions and later versions and iterations with other members in the band. But at least you get the original, you know, because that's what people are going to relate to. You know? Yeah, that's what people care about, really. Yeah. And I wrote the article about it. It's on the website. Uh, I wrote this that article years ago. Uh, but the, the important things that you need to stick to, the, the lyrics, uh, the, you know, signature, uh, signature licks, you know, or solos. Tempo. Tempo. Tempo, you know, it is tempo you can change maybe. But, you know, the general tempo you want to stay with. Um, but the, the words, you know, that uh, that's what most people are not out there like, yeah, and humming the bass line. They're out there... <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, they're out there singing the yeah, yeah. words to the song. They don't care. Most, 99.999% of the people that come to see the band play do not give a flying F about my bass tone. Right. Or if I'm playing with a pick or not, or, or if I'm playing the right note here or not. They don't, they don't even notice. It also depends on the song, too, Steve. Like, if we do Good Times, Bad Times, I mean, we, I, I play it exactly like the record. You know what I mean? Try to pay homage to John Bonham mm-hmm. by duplicate, you know, replicating his exact drum parts the way he played them. You know, no embellishments, no isms, you know, no personality in there. Just thinking about how he played it, and and, and again, the, the groove that it has, and the feel at that tempo, and, and and the fills, and 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 the single kick with the doubles. You know, yeah, things like that is what makes the song sound authentic you know and mm-hmm. if you play it too fast it doesn't have the right groove to it right 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 um but i mean like you said before when you play live you usually play a little faster most bands do just because of adrenaline mm-hmm. and uh you know some songs though you find you play slower um brown eyed girl is one that that Bands generally play slower than the recording because you listen to that recording; it's pretty fast. That song, yeah, yeah. But most bands play that slower. Um, and there was one that was pointed out. Oh, China Grove by Doobie Brothers. We play that, and uh, the guitar player the other night said, "I just heard this song on you know on the radio or whatever, and it's fast. You know, it's yeah, faster yeah. than we play. We normally yeah. play it. Oh yeah. So we played it right there, and then we played it faster. So uh, which which felt good." That song fast it feels good. Um, so, like Adam said, uh, same can be said for bands like Journey or Kiss. Even Queen Kiss is missing a few of the former former members, and other two are missing their signature singers. Yeah. At that point, you're listening to cover band posing as the original band playing. I mean, Kiss without Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons is not Kiss. Again, identifiable vocal, right? You hear Paul Stanley, you know it's Kiss. As soon as you hear his voice, you know it's Paul Stanley. Queen without. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, same oh, thing. It's just not I, Queen, man. No, and, and I like Adam Lambert. Did I did think a great he's... job. You know, the band sounds great. It's just, it's not, it's not the original band. You know, it's not, it's not chemistry, Steve. Like we've talked about, episode one eleven, I think it was, or one twelve. You know, when you get into a band and you find certain elements and personalities that click and it just works. Once you disrupt that arrangement, it's not the same again. You know, same, like yeah. original, original Guns N' Roses lineup, right? As soon as you start switching people out, it's not the same anymore. It's, you know, it can be equally as good, you know, but just different feel, especially drummers, you know? Like when Matt Sorum joined Guns N' Roses, right, after Steven Adler left or got kicked out, you know, that that album was a great album, but it was a different sound, you know? It was a right. different type of energy driving the band, 
right. you know, from the original, you know, group of guys that lived in the house together and lived and breathed the dream and then saw it come to reality, you know, and that's what you see with a lot of these bands. Like, that's what brought them to that point, you know, and, and even Maiden with Dickinson has been, has been a good example of that for how long they've stood the, in the testament, right? After Paul Diano left and then Bruce came in, it's been the same guys. Yeah, I mean, they you know? added uh, Yannick, uh, whatever his name is, Yannick. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Steve Harris, you know, Nico. Steve Harris, Dave like, Murray, you know, Adrian right, Smith, right. Uh, uh, Nico McBrain. Yep. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, there's certain bands that change, like ACDC, you know, Bon Scott died, Brian Johnson comes in, but then mm-hmm. they put out Back in Black, which is one of the, there you go, one, yeah. one of the, <laughs> probably one of the best rock albums ever made. Right. Um, so... You know, he's considered, but to me, it's just, it always comes down to, it's about the song. Like this guy mentioned about Journey and, and they've had a, uh, forget his name, uh, singing now for, for Journey for quite a, a long time. And it does a great job and sounds kind of like Steve Perry. Uh, you know, it can hit the notes, but what it comes down to, it's about the song. It's about the song. Nobody, like people that are in their 20s going to see Journey now that we're in a live Mm-hmm. When any of these songs were recorded, know the songs. They know "Don't Stop Believing." They know "Stone in Love" or any of the other Journey hits. They don't necessarily care that it's not Steve Perry. That's right. why Journey can tour all the time. You know. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, have- like you said, but the magic of that writing those songs would not have happened without those five guys being in a room together. You know. Right. Um. All right, so Adam said, as a musician, if I want to hear a true representation of the song, I would just listen to it on Spotify. The real point of going to a cover band is to hear the interpretation of that song. Sometimes that is way more enjoyable to hear what other musicians are doing with it instead of just hearing a copycat or clone. And I really agree with that because I think that's because a song is a piece of art and it is subject to interpretation. And that is the beauty of art. Is that it can be translated into a different thing? It could be and and channeled. And it's in the moment too. It's different tomorrow night than it will be tonight. Right. Yeah. That too. Like, uh, you know, I didn't play it that way tonight, but I played it the same way or the way. But, you know, it just happens. Some nights is just different than other nights, and some nights, you know, you feel you have different inspiration and you draw from different things. And some nights it's easy and it flows, and some nights you gotta pay attention more than you normally would, you know, and. It's just it depends on the night and how the band sounds. And, you know, sometimes it just all clicks and it sounds great right out of the gate. and It stays that way, you know. Right. So, Tim, I'm not going to put this comment on the screen because it's too large. But uh, uh, Tribute Band, he said he's less forgiving because he'd like to hear a song that is true to the original. And I agree with that. You know, Tribute Bands versus cover bands. And we could have a whole hour discussion of, of that, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, Two different animals, I think. But yeah, yeah, and tribute bands, it's kind of more too about the look because now you're you're representing one artist versus a cover band where you have to represent many. Correct. Artists. Yeah, like when so, Mean Street used to do the, the Van Halen cover, right? The guy looked like David Lee. You know, the guy mm-hmm. looked like Eddie. They they looked like the parts. Look at look at Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Like, uh, I mean, the, you know, the Queen, right? When when they they took the Queen cover band for the movie. You know, because the guy looked like Brian May. The guy looked like Is Roger that what they Hale. did? You know, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I saw the movie, but I didn't. Yeah, those guys were a Queen tribute band 
that they utilized for the movie because the guy looked like Brian May. He could play like Brian May, right? I mean, he had to figure out how to act, of course, but he, he was, you know, he had the talent and the look, and that's where they got him from. Right. You know? So I think the really – I remember a while ago too, Steve, maybe episode 89, you had that guy from Australia that was doing the Phil Collins thing. And he looked like Phil Collins, and he sounded right. like Phil Collins. And if you saw it, you would say, "Yeah, that looks like that. That looks like a clip that someone took of Phil Collins." Right. You know, um, sounded exactly like him, looked like him. I mean, it had the mannerisms. It was like a tribute band. You know, it was, uh, it was a Phil tribute. Beverly said uh, she saw a show with the Rolling Stones putting a different spin on themselves. Spin the spin themselves. I guess that's what she meant. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, if you're the original artist, you have, you know, creative freedom to do whatever you want. You know, sure. if it's your song, you could play it upside down if you want. You know, it doesn't matter. It's your song. I think uh, it depends on the band, too. You know, like like you had said, when you, you would go to see Rush, you went to see <coughs> Rush to see them perform the, the song note for note perfection like it was on the record. You know what I mean? Right. Not, and they very rarely deviated from anything. You know, they played it exactly like it was. Right. But that was what was expected, you know? It wasn't until later years that they started improvising more and stretching and, you know, like you said, doing more of their, what they felt like doing with songs, you know? And not playing them so exact anymore. Right. But it definitely depends on the band, the artist, the type of band, mm -hmm. the type of artist, the, the musicians. I mean, there's so much to it that the debate about it can go on forever. Um, yeah, I, I, it's all about the music. It's all about the song. It's about what what kind of joy do people get from it? Are, are they gonna are they gonna focus on oh that that guitar player is using a Marshall, but it was a Fender? You know, no. I, I mean, maybe some people. You know, <laughs> musicians like in, that in are, tribute bands, maybe right because you're not playing the authentic instrument that they used, right? You know, right. So musicians would, you know. Like yeah, musicians, musicians might, you'll go fan, in yeah, with your arms folded. Wait, oh, yeah, that's not that's... the. He, he used a thirty-five millimeter pick on that, not a twenty-eight millimeter pick. Yeah, I mean, people like that have too much time on their hands, or they uptight about something else. Gilbert, you know? said, yeah, Gilbert said it's all about the song as it was written and and intended by the band. But I will go with the word spirit, like you used the spirit mm -hmm. of the song. What is the spirit? You know, trying to say what is it trying to convey uh, of the, the the words, the feeling, the feeling of it. What is what if that's there? Then it, none of that other other shit matters. And it's the emotion too, right? Like if you do a U two song, you can't just sing it like off of a tablet as you're reading the words. You know, you need to have all those inflections that Bono puts in his voice and all that all that breathy. You know kind of distress you know what i mean mm -hmm. to make it sound authentic like that you know because that's how it's, it's so exaggerated the way he sings it you know if you listen to it, it's almost theatrical in a way and very few bands when they cover uh u2 will do that you know and that makes a big difference that separates you know like you said vocally trying to mimic or sound like the vocalist on the original track is going to be more striking to an audience than the band playing it perfect, but the singer not sounding anything like the original guy. 
and and that's probably the most challenging of all is the vocals. Like to get a singer that sounds just like the singer uh, for the original mm-hmm. track is it's virtually impossible. Right. I mean, you get people that are maybe close, you know, like uh, the dude for Journey is like he's close to Steve Perry. But it's not exact. You can't be exact. Right. Everybody is unique. Like Tony the best, man. Right? That's it. I'm the best version of myself. You can't be a better version of me, just like I can't be a better version of you. Nobody can be a better version of you than you. And, and That's right. People can try. And imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Yeah, but everyone has been given some sort of special, unique... You know, there's only one Steve Witchell in the world. There's only one Tony B in the world, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> to that extent, you know what I mean? Like, everyone has a unique perspective, skill set, talent, perception, interpretation of the way that they're going to play their instrument. You know what I mean? So as musicians, you know, something I was always taught at a young age is, like, don't be in competition with other drummers, you know? Befriend them, learn from them. If that guy's way better than you are, then understand why and what can you learn from him to make yourself better. Not be discouraged or oh, that guy's not that good. You know, <laughs> like you know, when you're a young player, to you have egos like oh, that, you know, the, the, you see a guy who's clearly better than everybody else. You like, oh, he's really not that good. You know, and the, the few guys that are like, what are you talking about, man? The guy's killing it up there. You know, shake the guy's hand when he comes up the stage, pat him on the back, tell him, dude, that was fucking awesome, great job, man. You know, so right. inspiring. And then go up and do your thing. And you may not have the same chops as that guy, but you may have a different feel, you know? Or that guy may just be in the stratosphere and you're not ever going to be that good, but you go up on stage inspired to reach for something or grab onto some of the spirit of his greatness that he just, you know, performed in front of you to make you now excited to play your part, you know? As soon as you get discouraged that maybe my part's not good enough from what, because I just saw his guy, you know, this other band, that's the kiss of death right there. You know what I mean? Mm. Because it's not going to be the same, you know? Bonham, Bozio, Portnoy, Neil Peart, any of those guys, you can't say, oh, that, that guy's the best, you know? They're all so radically different in what they do. They're all super talented, and they all have a special gift that, you know, none of them can do what the other guy does. Right. They're the best versions of themselves. Like, Adam said, no one will ever replace Freddie Mercury, but Adam Lambert does great. And I agree. Yeah. Um, but again, I'll just say it's all about the songs. That's because there's great Queen songs. There is. So like if you said. have somebody that sings it well, then there you go. People are going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Beverly said, like, Beth Hart at the Kennedy Center honoring Buddy Guy. It was beautiful to watch him nodding his head and smiling. She did him proud. Buddy Guy, one of the, the, the most incredible live shows I've ever seen. Buddy Guy playing. And I've seen him, I would say, three t- three times. But the first, the first time I saw him, just blew my mind. Yeah, it's just an incredible talent. Just um, small room, had everybody in the palm of his hand. Uh, unreal. Kind of uh, like Dave Matthews when you go see Dave Matthews by himself. Like, I've never seen him by himself. I've he's just totally, you know, he sits down. He's super comfortable, and he just it just the music just comes out of him. You know. It's almost like when we were watching Get Back, you know, McCartney just sits down mm. at a piano and just starts, you know, the, it, the music just comes. It just, he channels it right out of him, you know? Yes. So cool to, to experience something like that, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Good stuff. Good discussion. It's always a great topic to revisit. Uh, where has the hour gone, Steve? Yeah. And uh, I, I, uh, 
I'm living it now. So it's uh, it's something I think I'm thinking about a lot. And going back and studying these songs, it's been I'm really just, kind of just at the beginning of it. So it's it's really kind of a good experience to to do like what you said, go and get in the, in the head space of these people when they recorded and what were they thinking and what were they really trying to convey and and try to uh, adopt that with what you're doing. So it's fun, man. Yeah. Quite a, quite a crazy journey that I'm on and we're on and and all of Enjoying it. every minute of it, man. Yes. Nothing lasts forever. So yes. you know, your uh, 85 sets a weekend will come to an end at some point. Yes. And you'll look back and say, remember when I did that, man? That was great. Yes. It's so much fun. Like joining CalvaryBenCentral.com. Yeah. You can do that. Uh, fun than that. Sign up for, for a profile for you, your band, or both. It's free. CalvaryBenCentral.com. Win this one of these things. I mean, oh, oh, oh. Uh, smartphone holder smart from Hercules. Holder, baby. Uh, go to com slash contest. Enter. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Not a whole lot of people are entering the contest. So you have a really good chance of winning if you enter. So go there. The link is in the description for that. Oh, yeah, um, make sure you uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link is in the description for that. And any uh, comments, questions, complaints, Steve at CoverBandCentral.com. And if uh, and tell me how great Tony is. And, and yes, and, any compliments for Tony or cash for Tony can also be sent to Steve at CoverBandCentral. Yes. Just put a note in there that it's for Tony. Yes, and uh, next week is Thanksgiving week, but we will be here, so we'll see you then. Have a great week, everybody. the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> my mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.